alla tulia lambetam nastienna, quetienna apacarine lambi armaitarintar. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me in Wisconsin is William Annis. Hello. And up in New Jersey, we have Mike Lentine. Hello. And um, so, funny story today. Uh, I went to visit my family in Petersburg. That's in the eastern panhandle, West Virginia. And um, there was one dish at the potluck that I kind of avoided because it's just it was just kind of a crockpot beef stew or it looked like it with uh, potatoes and carrots in it and then later somebody told me that it was bear meat so I'm like oh "Oh, I want to try that (laughs) so I tried bear meat it tastes pretty much like beef Hmm. wow (laughs) well then that was just that was that was my top of the show story. Yeah, right. <laughs> a year or two ago, I was sort of interested in the Mohawk language, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and sometimes you can find things on YouTube of people giving just sort of an example of what the language sounds like. Mm-hmm. And they have an example of two women making some moose and corn stew. Oh wow! Like oh, that's pleasant. There must be a lot of meat on a moose because they're huge. Oh, yeah, they're kind of big. Yeah, I've never seen one myself. But, but you probably need to take it out pretty quick, because moose are also mean. Moose are mean. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's really okay. fun to say moose. Moose, moose, moose. All right, I've got that out of my system. Where did uh, the word moose come from, etymologically? We're going to talk about that later, so we can save that for later in the show. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Let's go. All right, we're going to, this is not, is kind of a revisit, but not really. So we're going to talk about today designing a sound system. We really wanted to, to, uh, in episode 29, uh, you, you may note that it's titled design sound systems and romanization, but we really talked almost the entire time about romanizations on that episode. So we felt it would be a good thing to uh, go back and revisit the actual sound systems. By the way, I just listened to episode 29 the other day, and it's also the episode where I have three minutes of terrible audio artifacts that I don't know why I didn't cut out. But that's an entirely different point. So anyway... Now you know better. Well, it was kind of how was I going to preserve this flow of the conversation? I suppose I could have like cut it out, explained myself, and recapped it or something. But uh, <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about designing a sound system, and so what? There's a whole lot of different things that go on. William, where do you think we should start here? Um, I guess probably for this show, we're not going to talk about. Super segmentals. That's yet another show, namely 33 things like nasalization, aspiration, non-aspiration, creaky voice, all that stuff. We're really not going to talk about that today because we already have. 
Mm-hmm. So we're going to avoid also, those. We've also done an episode all about phonological processes. Right, which so. are relevant to what we're talking about today, but we're not going to revisit the whole thing. Why don't we just start with phonemic versus phonetic, just because some beginners might find that important, and then just start talking about various kinds of sounds and symmetries and so forth. Hmm. Okay, well, that's, okay. That, that sounds like a good place to start. So basically, uh, phonemic and phonetic. So a the there's these are sort of two sides of the same coin. A phonetic, like a phonetic transcription, is exactly what sound somebody produces. Whereas phonemic, like if you go a phonemic transcription, it's, I like to think of it as what speakers think they're saying or what internally the, the structure of the, the, the sound structure of the language is. Because basically we have at least Linguists posit that we store sounds in terms of phonemes, and a phoneme might have several different realizations that are all considered deep back within the linguistic regions of our brain as the same sound. And this varies from language to language. Um, William, what could, what could we say for are some examples here? Well, English has both vowel length and aspiration, but we don't distinguish them. Um, they don't perform, they don't provide minimal pairs. So uh, in the linguistics biz, a minimal pair are two words that are identical except for one sound, and that's how you know the sound is considered different in the language. So mm-hmm. uh, like fine versus vine, those are different words, and so we know that we have a separate F and a separate V sound, fa and va, because fine and vine are different. Now, uh-huh. um, I just had a quick question on that. What about, um, is it, I think it's important that two sounds mean two different words. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. They have to mean different things, right? If they're if it's the same word that just sounds differently for some people, then it, it no longer counts as a minimal pair. So English has aspiration, but it only occurs at the beginning of a syllable with voiceless stops. Yeah. It's, so it's like like pin or pen, mm-hmm. but once that p is no longer at the beginning of a word or a syllable, then it loses the aspiration. So spin mm-hmm. will not have the same puff of air as pin, nor will soup have the same aspiration as that. So that's another one. Yeah. And um, in in English, vowels are always long before voice stops. Mm-hmm. So sat, as in the past tense of sit, or sad, as in yeah. have, so sat and sad. There's a vowel length difference, and that's conditioned. Mm-hmm. Now, I can I can hear the difference in that. That's because you've had yeah. linguistics training, yes. right? The three but, of us. Yeah. Yeah. But we are <laughs> all, we are all uh, sort of linguistically minded. So sometimes we'll hear the, the, the distinctions that uh, maybe the average native speaker wouldn't hear. Right. So but, that's the point I mean, is mm-hmm. the, the phonemes are sort of what the naive speaker thinks are the sounds of the language. Yeah. Uh, like, like, um... Mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. Oh, no, I was just going to say, if we didn't have the vowel length thing, it'd be like sat and sat. Would sound right. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to a non-trained person, those would sound like the same word to most English speakers, I think. Yeah, to most of the time. Um, and that's, that's actually sort of a, a tangential thing. Sometimes... These secondary phonological processes actually give you 
more clues as to what the thing, what the word is, than what the sound is, than anything else. Um, it seems to me, at least this was my experience learning, uh, Chinese is that Chinese actually distinguishes aspirated and unaspirated. Right. But mm-hmm. I think many English speakers learning Chinese perceive it as a voiced voiceless or, or a voiceless and voiced because since we so often, um, aspirate those, um, those voiceless stops and because Chinese is so restricted that those those stops only ever occur in the position where we would aspirate them. We hear it as voice and voiceless. And there's certain kinds of sort of uh, voicing delay that occurs in English with the voiced constants. It gets a little bit more complicated than that. Sure. But and and we, don't, was, we don't need to, to explore yeah. all of the, the variations there. The point is yeah. how the phoneme inventory might be quite small, and yet you might have a larger full phonetic inventory I would uh, for the language. Yeah. So, yes. for example, the uh, the donkey beater language, whose name I forget offhand, yeah, yeah, yeah. had a very simple phoneme inventory, but once you had the various, um, that, that final H introducing various changes across the language, it had much larger phonetic inventory. Yes. I, I think that in, this, in explaining this, we should, uh, I know we mentioned it a little bit later on, I think, but uh, allophones, I think that the phonetic inventory includes all of them as separate entries, and then the phonemic, the alphans are kind of stuck under the same umbrella, and just right. whatever one is the, yeah. the main form. And there's there's complications in the analysis, but I don't think we need to really go too deep into it. I was just kind of trying to to highlight that there you can go down that rabbit hole a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you want to make your your analysis of your language a little bit more ambiguous. But for the basic point, I think we've pretty much covered what the difference is. And I think we can move on to sort of more interesting, more in-depth ideas of how you actually put your sounds together. And mostly, we're going to talk about phonemes and how you arrange the phonemic inventory, I think. Right. right. If you want to decide that all voiceless stops are aspirated to the ends of words, by all means do so. But, you know, you probably don't need separate letters for those unless they really contrast. It's kind of another show. Mm-hmm. Get another show. Yay! Well, <laughs> it, it kind of falls under the phonological processes show, honestly. So, yeah. All but, right. Um, all right. So, William was very nice to me in that <laughs> uh, he put in his notes the very first thing that I look at when I look at a phonology, which is symmetry. Mm. <laughs> right, so I put down beware of asymmetries. Why? <laughs> because you don't want George or Bianca mentioning your language in the same breath as Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> so, apart from that, why might you want to care? So, what do I mean by asymmetries here? Is if you look at that IPA chart, you have places of articulation and manners of articulation. Mm-hmm. You don't Except for some things at the margins, you don't expect typically there to be only one element in either a column or a row, except for things like H and a model stop. For the most part, you do not expect your language to have a single voiceless stop. Right. If you have voiced voiceless nasals and fricatives for your bilabials, you expect something like that in your, say, alveolus. 
Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm talking about is weird gaps or yes. weird single items that are, are surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about certain gaps that are actually quite common later, but let's start with this. So why would you worry about these asymmetries apart from George comparing to Klingon? First is it makes your phonological processes much more complex since effectively you have a whole list of exceptions to cope with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for to, to, to deal with these asymmetries. Second, over long time, you expect phonological processes to obliterate certain asymmetries, especially things like manner and place, since those are most likely to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Right. If, for some reason, your language had simple voiceless and voiced stops, but for whatever reason, T disappeared, you'd expect normal voicing symmetries, uh, voicing uh, assimilations to eventually reintroduce, um, you know, if, if there's an S next to it, you might expect it to become devoiced again. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that, that's just, it's just long-term historical processes can obliterate certain kinds of asymmetries. But of course, the same process of historical change can introduce them. Yeah, of course. And that was the thing, uh, like a bad example from Klingon that really was the, the thing that made me, uh, uh, most annoyed with Klingon was that it had the, uh, voiceless t. And then it, it had the voiced retroflex ga, but it did not have either of their counterparts. So it didn't have ta and it didn't have da. So over time, you would act that could happen sort of in a snapshot of a language at one period of time if it had just lost a couple sounds, mm-hmm. but you would expect it over time to either one of one or both of them would develop a counterpart or one would merge into the other. Generally, languages like to sort of avoid too many uh, distinctions in what sounds you have to make to, to speak them. That said, there or are... Or if you're going to decide yeah. to make that distinction, you're going to do so with gusto. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You make... And it's sort of... Language follows certain patterns. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you have voiceless and voice distinctions, you're going to have multiple voiceless, multiple voice, and they might, they won't match up necessarily perfectly. And William, you, you even list there, there are a few asymmetries that are actually pretty common, like, uh, P get, gets disappeared often, G gets disappeared, the G sound. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say often, but it happens often enough that linguists have made note of it. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's one asymmetry you can get mm-hmm. is for whatever reason, P and G are slightly more prone to deletion from otherwise symmetrical systems. Arabic is my favorite and always has been because it deletes both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's actually an entire Walls article, 5A, dealing with this very issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can see other languages where this has happened. Um, uh, let's see. W- one kind of asymmetry you sort of expect to have nasals in most of your places of articulation, except the velar ng uh-huh. is yeah. very rare outside of certain conditioned environments. So it's very common as a syllable coda or especially some sort of nasal assimilation before a velar stop. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. very unstable as the initial or the onset of a syllable. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, it happens, but it's unstable. Yeah, it happens quite often. It's just not that common. Right, right. Um, and the my sort of 
obsession with symmetry is why I really, really prefer people to put their put out put their phonology into the proper charts so that I can see the symmetry and such. But generally speaking, um, if you want an interesting phonology as far as symmetry concern is concerned, usually I think the the best ones are they have one or two holes. Sure. And of course, it's pretty common that it's sort of the stops match up. And if you have two types of fricatives, the fricatives match up, things like that. It's not always, um, uh, but they might not match up across that manner of articulation. So sure. there's, mm-hmm. there's plenty of ways to play around with it without going crazy. And, uh, as I often, uh, imagine Mark Okren doing throwing darts at a an IPA constant chart. <laughs> I still think that if you actually did that, the language would be much crazier. But anyway, <laughs> there's um, now with symmetries. It's not necessarily saying that if you have a a um, voiced version of a consonant that you'll have the unvoiced like so, uh, sonorants. I think it's much more unusual to have the voiceless ver- um, version of them. Right? Sure. Sure, yeah, right. Yeah. You have to deal with sort of typological normalness, right? And yeah. we are talking a lot about the stops, since those tend to make up a large part of your inventory. And it and yeah. it all works on how what distinctions you make. You may not distinguish between voiced and voiceless stops. Uh you may have an aspiration distinction. You may just have only one stop series. Right. Right. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. I you often have only a voiceless fricative series. And that happens in plenty of languages. It's not a big deal. Sure. But once you've broken that, you know, there are just voiceless, to have just one voiced can happen, but it's a little bit weird. You might want to think about that. So yeah. So here's um, the reconstruction of Proto-Indo-European has very few sure instances of B, mm-hmm. but it does have an overabundance of Ws. Mm-hmm. So huh. it looks like... That was there was some sort of sound change that happened that caused B to disappear, hmm. namely turned into W. Um, one of my favorite of the Algonquin languages, Arapaho, has hmm. a very small constant inventory, and it does not have voiced stops except for B. Huh. And the reason it has that is because M turned into B. So was B a um, a it was a, it's, a, it's own separate phoneme or was a malaphone of M? Uh, it was its own separate function. Oh, okay. I think, <laughs> William, you're, you are hitting on a very important point when you're dealing with this particular segment of designing your sound system. If you have an asymmetry, where did it come from historically? Right. Because they mm-hmm. usually come from some sort of historical change. And, and if we- you can justify one or two of these asymmetries with a, a historical sound change, then that's... Great. Just stick it in there and say, you know, all instances of B's turned into a W or an M or whatever. Sure, sure. Or, so, you know, get creative with it. The the interesting thing about Arapaho is it mostly has, for its in stop inventory, it has voiceless. Mm-hmm. But instead of a P, it has a B. Mm-hmm. But we've already said that the B comes from an M, so what happened? So Arapaho first lost K, mm-hmm. and then P became K. Uh-huh. That's why moose, uh-huh. which is an Algonquin word, which sounds something like mo-swe, 
in Arapaho is just B, like B I I. <laughs> okay, that's great. Right, so you have this chain of, and then this is one of those interesting things about historical linguistics, where you know some people argue is it a push change or a pull change? We don't know, but the loss of an entire gap in your symmetry, something else might move to fill it in. Uh-huh. Now, when you when you say M turned to B and all that, that's not related to the orthography, right? It's all just um, the ph- phonetic and phonetic. Well, it's just sounds. They didn't they they didn't have any writing when this change occurred. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah no, the figure. Much complex thinking has gone into figuring out how Arapaho and Comanche relate to the rest of these languages, because mm-hmm. they're they're like the the Celtic languages mm-hmm. of the Algonquin family. They're most deviant <laughs> in terms of most changes have occurred. Yeah, I was once uh, once you figure them out, you're like, oh yeah, these are related. But it took them a while. Okay. Yeah. Earlier, I was okay. asking about where moose came from, just because I knew it had to be different. Like, it's not from the same place that goose came from, because the plurals are different. But we already talked about plurals in a different set. So. <laughs> but it's not meese, moose and meese, goose and geese. But and yeah. okay, you also mentioned that aerial features can uh, can introduce odd asymmetries. Sure. So there are a bunch of languages of California, especially the further south you move that make a distinction between alveolar and retroflex, or possibly mm-hmm. the alveolars get shunted out all the way to dental versus retroflex. But in the middle zone, the further north you go, the fewer of those retroflexes you'll have, such that you can have a, a language like Mutsun, which has a normal inventory, except one single retroflex stop, mm-hmm. which is an aerial feature. Um and frankly, I think that was the inspiration for that weirdness of Klingon since Okran knows about those languages. Hmm. Okay. So it may be actually, uh, Klingon actually has another retroflex. It has a sh sound. Right. So, so it has two of them. So it's not completely insane. It's not, it's not that insane, as insane as I thought when I first reacted to it, but it's a little wacky. But yeah, it's interesting to see that that can, that does occur. Now, if we could only uh, figure out uh, which Klingons ended up living in California for uh, a few thousand years, hmm. <laughs> sure, that's a good that, yes, excellent. <laughs> you can get you can get entire novels out of that. <laughs> <laughs> the Californian Klingon, hmm. California Klingon, right? You know, here, sure. They came for the salmon. Everyone comes for the salmon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so that's really all probably we have to say about asymmetry, but it's worth thinking about. If you're going to break it, think about why. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you to have an excuse. We've been talking a lot about consonants, but in terms of vowels, is there a symmetry um, sort of correlation in them? Vowel systems have an entirely have their own rules. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, that's harder to talk about because there are different axes the symmetry can work along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a link to this really wonderful page that is just a survey of vowel systems and takes you all the way from your three vowel system out to your crazy Northern European lunacies. <laughs> um, but it talks to you about things that can be shown to occur in natural languages, three vowel systems, four vowel systems, five yeah. vowel systems. And then what, you know, what you add to your simple symmetrical three or five system yeah. tends to um, occur in pairs. doesn't have to. But tends to. Hmm. Uh, in in 
episode 29, one of the few times we actually touched on the vowel systems, I suggested that you start with one of either uh, a basic three vowel, a basic five vowel, which is the most common system in the world, yeah. where you have e, e, a, o, and u, a a square, a four vowel square system, um, and then William added the seven vowel system, and take one of those as your base and then manipulate it. Mm-hmm. But after looking at William's survey of vowel systems, I got to thinking that might you don't might not actually have to do it. I still think that's one good way to go about it. But you could also go through this giant list of them and kind of take your pick of what in, what vowel system interests you and realize. And this gives you information of some of these are very likely some of these only occur in one or two languages, things like that. Right. And sometimes explains what happens, you know, various kinds of sound merges that might have led to. Yeah. And um, again, yeah. just like with um, with symmetry and the consonants, if you're choosing one of the weirder um, vowel systems, this might help you a little bit in this. Think of historical reasons for it to change into that. Sure. Um, you don't have to get too deep into history, but you can kind of think about, okay, how did this particular odd vowel that doesn't occur very often end up in this, this one short language? I'm, I'm very fond of the four vowel system that drops the oo sound. Uh-huh. So it would have them e, uh, ah, and all. Yep. Hmm. That, that's interesting. That has nothing whatsoever to do with, um, I don't know, classical Nahuatl. <laughs> um, has it, that it, system. So it has um that it's it's um uh, I see E A on O it it's the vowel systems have a certain symmetry in themselves in that generally you the it looks like languages try to fill the 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 vowel space as much as they can or yep. as in uh, get into the corners of the vowel space but they're not always successful. And the E-A-I-O obviously leaves a an entire corner of the vowel space empty. Sure. So that makes it sort of interesting that that one cardinal is missing, basically. Sure. And some of those result from some languages deciding that height is what they care about and merge the E and U sound. Yeah. And then I was going to say that in, that, in the E-A-I-O, um, is it not weird at all that the O is the only rounded one? Um, hmm? could be. I mean, Imagine I if you unrounded the O in that, too. <laughs> that would be really weird. Yeah, then you're on your way to Hopi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so, and, but this, really, this, this, um, this page of, of the vowel systems is really a great, uh, resource. There used to be something similar to that for consonant sounds, mm-hmm. um, but I have not been able to find it again. Yeah. I think, honestly, you could almost just look at this page and take your pick of whatever the sound, because there's so many vowel systems on here that, yeah. Yeah. you know, you could say wh- whenever you're going to get a language, okay, um, I'll pick this one. Sure. Sure. If nothing else, it's an excellent starting point. You might want to tweak it, but. It's there. Well, yeah, yeah, you can. Especially, you can take especially one of these. if you feel you're in a rut and you want to try something new. Yeah. There you go. 
if you're the historical type, you, you can like pick one of these as the vowel system for your proto-lang and then do the sound changes and see what happens there. <laughs> sure. So sure. in the four in the four vowel systems, which one is T four, T four minus, or S four? That's most similar to Nahuatl. Uh, T four minus. T four minus. Okay. Yeah, which is Navajo. Saying. I don't know if that's related at all. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. Nav- well, Navajo kind of does that, but then you get into it is phonemically mm-hmm. a four vowel system, but phonetically you get all sorts of yeah. Uh, anyway, I think honestly we can probably move on from vowel systems because that page explains it a lot better than we could. Yeah, there's no point for us to read here talking. Um, Why don't we see, what else do we have? You have a whole list of things that are more or less likely to happen. Sure. And, yeah. Um, This is, you know, if you're aiming for a naturalistic and typologically defensible language, if you Mm -hmm. care about that sort of thing, then if you have (laughs) voiced stops, then you will have voiceless ones. And if you have voiced affricates, then you will have voiceless ones. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Right. Um, if you have aspirated stops or uh, voiceless stops or ejectives, then you will also have the plain voiceless series. Okay. Um, so that's worth mentioning. Um, that to me was always the, the big, um, oddity of Laudan is that it only, phonemically has voiced stops. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That, but but that, I, my feeling is that, that La Dan was designed to accommodate lots of different um, speakers from different language families learning the language and still get variations that would not impede understanding. No. Okay. With the mentioning, if you have voice stops or affricates, you have voiceless ones, does that same correlation extend into fricatives? Uh, no. Uh, oh, you know, I don't know because, no, I don't think it does because I've got Chemuwebi in my brain. Just, <laughs> that sounds like a disease. <laughs> yeah, Chemuwebi in my brain. No, Chemuwebi <laughs> is yet another Uto Aztecan language. It has voiceless stops, but voiced fricatives, which are a result of, um, lenition. And this, um, this, this, uh, Hopi does this as well. Um, uh, Dirk Elzinga's language did this, right? So in Hopi, you have P, no B, but a V. So Pa and Va, note that the Va only occurs between vowels. Yeah, like in Spanish has Va, but it does not have, right? Unless you're in Spain. Well, but that, that Va, though, that Va sound is not phonemic. Yeah, it's a phonetic. Spanish only has a voiceless, uh, fricative series. But right, but then you have the but oh. there are but William just cited a couple languages that have only voiced fricative series that see having only voiced fricatives seems less jarring to me than having only voiced stops. I don't think I don't know if that really counts for anything, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It seems to make sense to me that that that, that it would, would happen occur, to yeah, that's jammed between vowels. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and, and there's an interesting question is, should we be spelling or should the linguists who decided how to spell a language like Chemuwebi or Navajo have spelled it that way? Yeah, that's, um, that's another question is if like Chemuwebi, you were saying has voiceless stops and voice fricatives, but it doesn't have the, the counterparts, do, does it even matter to note that they're voice and voiceless? Because 
basically the language doesn't have a voice voiceless distinction at that point. Uh, the, the issue is it's just it's it's simple phonemic variation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's allophone. It's allophone. Yeah, in, in, in this particular situation, it's pronounced like a voiceless stop, and in this other particular situation, it's pronounced like a voiced fricative. Okay, right. Mm. So, oh well, that gets into complex theoretical wrangling, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> it could. I don't think. I mean, you know, do your feature analysis; it all makes sense. But yeah, um, well, that's maybe a little more detailed than we need to go into now. Mm-hmm. You kind of okay. You also point out that the starting point you should be looking at, like the very first things you want to point at, put in are t, k, a, and e. Right. And then kind of build from there. Right. So you're probably going to have a p sound, although as we mentioned, sometimes it gets dropped. Um, it amuses me in some of my conlangs to drop it just because. Um, you might, if you're going to have a three vowel system, then you're probably going to have a, e, and u mm-hmm. as your core. But, you know, if you do some four vowel system, you might drop an O or an E or something. But yes, this very simple starting point, ta, ka, pa. Uh huh. Write them mm-hmm. down and then go from there. Do you want to have multiple kinds of coronals? Do you want to have a ta? Do you have a tsa or a cha? And is it phoneme or is it a cluster? What is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you're stuck with three consonants at the top. There's all sorts of things you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You can have your uvulars, pa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dealers, these wow. are these it looks like these are the things that you're going to that you're saying are almost all languages have those four particular sounds. So yeah. you want to think very carefully before you remove one of those four, but you know, you can add whatever else you want as long as you're sort of trying to maintain other things and we're we're talking about making a naturalistic language here. Right. Um, so I mean with very little work, you can have Pa, ta, ka, a, e, u should be mm-hmm. for most of your languages, unless you have particular vowel systems you're very attached to. That mm-hmm. would be the starting point for almost any language. Mm-hmm. I usually seem to start with a five like Spanish has. The five vowel system? Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes That's... throwing in a, a roundedness um, aspect or the like, a. I'm not fond of the a sound. I like the five vowel system. I realize it's, it's extremely common, which... Yeah. Sure. Depending on what you're going for, can be a good thing or bad thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going to rant here. Whenever people try to do group conlangs, uh-huh. I always avoid them because you're going to have three or four people who want to have maximal weirdness in every dimension. Uh huh. And I'm just, I'm just not interested. Five vowel, go. Yeah, five vowels. It, it's fine. It's there's nothing wrong with reason. five vowels. It's the most common system. Yeah, and you can. It's very easy to sit there and put five vowels and like add e or something. Um, right, right. The, anyway. the, the, or or just throw in an extra one or remove something or play around with it. Um, you have a small mention of clicks here. Yes, huh. if you're going to have click consonants at all, you are almost likely the, the most likely combination is to have the basic three ah. Ah uh, and ah. Uh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then if you get a little more, you might have ah, uh, and mm-hmm. then finally the bilabial, which I have such fun with ah ah ah. See, I have problems with that one. Anyway, ah, <laughs> uh, there we go. So basically, cool. your starting point, if you do clicks, and 
Slicks are extremely rare, so it's kind of like... extremely rare, but because they're rare, they attract conling. Yeah, it, you, mm-hmm. you have to really want clicks before you... I think you should really, really want to have clicks before you think about putting clicks in there. <laughs> so, so the what core, is that? The core is those three. Ah, ah, ah. And could you tell, tell us what the... Because I can't really tell from hearing you what the articulations are. <laughs> so the single the single bar is the one where you're scolding someone that okay dental yes the, right. uh, the double bar is this thing that is involving your molars uh, oh, the that's lateral, the, lateral, the lateral one la- kind uh, of like, like a horse uh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. In, like in cosa right like in oh, cosa exactly okay oh okay I thought it was and then cosa. and then the exclamation point is the alveolar one right is the the horrible noisy one yeah ah uh. ah uh, uh, okay. All right, now I understand that. Okay, but the the point is, you're either going to have those three, and and there's something a little um, weird talking about click consonants this way, because once you start looking at languages that have these, Mm -hmm. you realize that your bar or your exclamation point or your circle with a dot is less a consonant than a place of articulation. (laughs) You never have a language that just has one of them. And even with that one that you might have, there will be multiple realizations. There'll be a nasalized version. There'll be an aspirated version. There'll be glottalized versions, which I hurt myself trying to pronounce. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, there may be pharyng- pharyngealization or some combination of them, right? So you don't just have a click. There's no language on this planet that simply has one click noise. Huh. You don't. Even if you say, oh, they only have, ah, there are still multiple realizations. There, and, and I mean, phonemic realizations that are different. Oh, really? Like, ah uh, and ta, uh, or ta uh, and na, right? This sort of pre-nasalized thing. Yeah. So, if you're going to go with clicks, just having one click like they do in the Alienation series is is not natural for human languages. Of course, we can say a whole bunch of stuff about clicks. The thing is, the sample size is also very small. It is very small. It's true. So, it's true. Um, we can say that. We can also say that clicks almost always will only occur uh, as an initial consonant. I think that's not a almost always. I think that's a real always. Yeah, that's they always occur as an initial consonant. Oh, uh, uh, this is all onset, onset, onset. They can occur onset multiple consonant, places. onset consonant. Yes, right. Sorry. So they can occur at the start of a syllable, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you can have more than one in a word. Which which makes sense to me. It seems like it's easier to pronounce as, a, as an onset than as a uh, coda. But Cons. just keep in uh, also keep in mind that you know, that those are sort of what we've observed what have mm-hmm. what has been observed but there are so very few click languages too. I think if you're going to go with clicks, probably kind of follow those at least because um you're already going way out of, on a limb by putting in clicks anyway. So, right. And if you're going to make click content language, please make sure you can pronounce them. <laughs> okay. my, my feeling you should be able to say them before you incorporate them into the language. Say them. I think, um, I think practicing and having being able to say them fluently helps because if you have to really break a sweat trying to speak your language, I mean, if you want, by all means, go on, but it just makes seems like a lot of extra work. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. There's, there's, there's different things. It's always, 
it's always nice to try to make a language. It's always fun to try to make a language that you have difficulty pronouncing, mm. but at the same time, it's also very frustrating. So yeah. it depends on how much work you want to put into it. And also whether you really want to do much in the way of recording and stuff. Right. Right. Um, um, and then for the last thing in terms that I just made note of in terms of things that are likely in natural languages are if you have a large constant inventory, then you are more likely to have a larger vowel inventory. That's interesting me to me, mainly because I immediately think of counterexamples like Ubich, which can be analyzed as having what, like two vowels? Yeah, well, those but Georgian languages have their own thing. Yeah, but yeah, the Caucasian that. languages are, are particularly, have their own particular weirdness, though. It's very rare to have less than three vowels in the first place. Right. Uh, I mean, but there are others, like um, Dahalo, which is a, another click language, has a huge constant inventory, but a simple five, a symmetrical five-vowel system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are multiple possibilities there. I'm simply making a statement about a likelihood. Now, not to get too deep into theory, but do you think maybe that might have to do a little bit with history that over time those many consonants sort of drug the vowels around in different places and eventually caused new vowels to surface or something? Uh, certainly that can happen. Some manners of articulation color vowels quite a lot. Um, pharyngealization, for example, uh, uvulars tend to move things around. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that could push you into the direction of vowel richness. I, I don't understand what's going on here in the walls. People who talk about this don't understand it either. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there because I, I was, I was curious what you would think about that. We don't want to go too far into theoretical things we don't know, know anything about. Right. I love that you have a, an entire section where you say, if you're not aiming at nat- naturalism, well, then all bets are off. Right. <laughs> and then you, you introduce a couple of other things. Right. So, as I said earlier, Ladon's sound system appears to be designed to allow several kinds of allophony induced by second language learners and still be clear. Mm-hmm. So there is no S in Ladon, but there is an SH and there's a TH. There's a SHA and a THA. Mm-hmm. Mm. So... It, it seems like there was massaging done to make it possible to mispronounce various sounds and not have them be likely confused with others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then one thing I just wanted to say is, you know, unless you want to invoke quantum tunneling, I can't think of any good physical reason for gross asymmetries, even in an alien language. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So like really wacky asymmetrical stuff. There's, there's even... just the, the physics of producing a sound. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a thought that Neanderthals couldn't pronounce the sound E. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if that's true. Um, but, I mean, there are things you can do, but really ludicrous, you know, something that looks like your sound system was created the way George thinks Klingons was, with, you know, just a random <laughs> collection of things from the IPA chart, makes no more sense in an alien vocal tract than it does in a human note. Yeah, you kind of, it's... It's just sort of things are going to collapse in a certain way. And even if you sit there and like try to invoke alien psychology, there's still like Klingons have the same vocal tract that humans have. They're kind of probably going to gravitate towards the same articulations. Yeah. And, and you know, if you are developing entirely alien vocal tract or vocal system, 
well then good luck you're all going all. very right. much you're going much further than uh we usually do <laughs> here right right um what else uh, walls has some great pages about the whole you know how big is your vowel system how big is your consonant inventory what sort of things are likely what are less likely if you have this kind of lateral like mm. do you have a, a voiceless slur? do you have a uh, all of that stuff um, walls is really a good place to, to check out for some of those things. Yeah. 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 Look, look at walls to see what kind of things, what, what kind of things go what, with what other kinds of things. And you can, you can sort of match around and make sure that the language is sort of is interesting and also plausible. Right. Um, so why don't we go ahead and, move on do we have really anything else to say well i was thinking it might be entertaining i mean just to mention how you would go about you you know you've been called by paramount they can't get mark okren and they need a language for some aliens <laughs> mm-hmm. but the language okay. has to be learnable by humans how would you start designing your sound system well if i were trying to get um a language that the the actors wouldn't have trouble pronouncing I might look at their their L1 and maybe pick some vowels that aren't too unusual for them. Um, mm-hmm. Like if they were all Spanish speakers, you might not want to put an I in there because those aren't vowel sounds that are that match their L1. So if you right. want to make it easy easy learning, you take your audience's L1 to account. I would say that's that's one thing you could do. I would say I might choose maybe one thing that's. Not necessarily weird, but sort of non-English. Sort of the same way Paul Fromer decided, okay, I'm going to have ejectives. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the weirdest thing about Natvi. Oh, oh uh, that's not actually how he proceeded. He produced three separate sort of inventories uh-huh. and demonstrated mm-hmm. nonsense in those inventories to Cameron and let him pick. Oh, okay. He did so have he, one that was tonal, didn't he? He did have one that was yeah. tonal. I would so love to have for that to have succeeded. But oh, I well. think I think tonal, like it, uh, assuming that this is okay. You said Paramount. I'm assuming Hollywood, which means yeah. mostly English speaking actors. I'd mm-hmm. say if you want to do tonal, probably do a two or three tone system because um, I know that when you go further than that, you know, Chinese has four tones. It takes about six months to learn how to pronounce it correctly. Um, and when you have actors try to pronounce Chinese, you know, watch Firefly. The Chinese is un, un, incomprehensible. You have to, so sort of, I think you can sort of, if you, in this particular situation, if you are trying to design, uh, David J. Peterson did with this, this with, uh, Dothraki, sort of have a few oddnesses. And hopefully, if you will have very good um, vocal coaches that will be able to hone in on those oddnesses and teach mm-hmm. the actors sure, that, yeah, sure. but don't go overboard with it and create some crazy click language. Well, I, I was less interested in the fact that this was going to actors. I just presented that as a scenario. Then okay. How, what's so, your process for creating? So I, I want to say one thing quick about Dothraki is it has a single voiceless uvular, which is huh? Mm-hmm. Again, that turns out to be normal. The voiced variety of that is very rare. Uh huh. Does Arabic uh, have the voiced version? I don't no. Think so so no. that's one asymmetry that happens all the time. That right? it happens to be natural. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's one thing that you can kind of 
throw in there and not have to think about too much. Um, okay. So I'm, I, I think we, we went a little bit too far in thinking about the actual movie scenario then. Yes. So yes. <laughs> my normal process for coming up with a phony inventory is I just, I draw up the IPA constant chart mm-hmm. and I sit there and I think about, okay, what distinctions do I want? And what sort of particular sounds sound nice? And I just sort of start filling out the constant chart. And then for the vowels, I think I, I often will just like start with a basic system, like a five vowel system or a three vowel system. And then think about whether I want to go with just that or whether I want to tweak things, add a vowel, remove a vowel, move a vowel somewhere. And that's, that's, sort of my approach. Mike, do you have a different sort of way of going about it? Well, um, when I look at, uh, you know, for consonants, I think about what sounds do I want to have in this language, and um, I think about what do I want to be um, part of the same phoneme, and what do I want to be uh, minimal, you know, have minimal distinction, or minimal pairs, in terms of... Oh, okay, of, so you think of allophony from the start. Yes, because okay. I... For, you know, um, I if, usually I usually come up with the phoneme inventories and then do allophony later. That's that's yeah. an interesting way to do it. But uh, I think about that in the beginning, and then from there I progress. And if there's, you know, um, if there's a sound that I want that, you know, I don't really want to use throughout the language, but maybe it only sounds. Not, I go with what feels like should be in there, and mm-hmm. if it really feels unnatural for say you to have. Uh, voice fricative at the end, but in the beginning it sounds perfectly natural, I look and see if there's a phono- a logical phonological process that maybe it's a product of um, nasal assimilation and voicing. Another interesting, another cool thing to do is come up with a couple words Yes, at first, and that you want to be uh, in the sound of language mm-hmm. and build some things with there. Usually when I move on to phonotactics, which we could, we, we should probably push that to another episode. Um, yeah, that'd be good. Uh, when I move on to phonotactics, I start actually making words and figuring out, okay, what, what can phonological, what, um, phonotactic constraints, uh, com- make these words happen. So William, how, what do you do? What do you do when you first start coming up with Constance. your phonology? I, I'm probably a bit more like, George, I might have a word or something that struck me that that might motivate things, but mostly I start with um, a very simple horizontal line of those consonants starting with place of articulation. I am much more likely to have consonant clusters, which are single phonemes. Mm-hmm. So your tsa, your cha, your ja, your kwa, various your tla, if I'm feeling really um, <laughs> southwestern. So lots of Africans you like to... I, I like for those to be phonemes, right? To be, to I be like phonemes. them too. Yeah. Um, and then I've got those. I've decided what that is. Then I think, do I want voicing? Do I not want voicing? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to have... What, what's going to happen when the single stops occur between vowels? Yep. Uh-huh. All of those things. What am I going to... Nasal is going to be... What's going to happen after nasal? is going to be voicing and simulation. Yeah. From there, everything follows. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then for the vowels, um, I'm, uh, what do you do for those? It, it depends entirely on my mood. I much prefer small vowel inventories, four, five, seven vowel systems, sometimes a six vowel system. But I'm very, very fond of tone and vowel length. 
Mm-hmm. See, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of those. I so that's which, actually which, which one gives thing... me a lot of word shape possibilities within a small confine. One thing I've taken to doing, I usually, um, I previously have not dealt a lot with uh, super segmentals and such, but nowadays I kind of think of when I start doing the vowel system, I also think of, um, and we did a whole episode on super, super segmental, so I'll just be brief on this. I start to think of, okay, do I want nasalization length or and length on this? Right. And figure out how to put that, mark those on the vowels and figure out which vowels those things apply to. Because we mentioned in the super segmental, uh, um, episode, those can be sort of asymmetrical in that they might not apply to all vowels. Um, right. You might get no nasalization on your high vowels. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the other, what else? And also, I also basically, once I start getting the phoneme inventory sketched out, I also think of phonotactics and whether it's tonal or stress, stress accent or pitch accent or whatever. Mm-hmm, sure. Sure. If you, yeah, if your, your syllable shape is going to do all sorts of funkiness to your sound system as well. If you can have stops at the end of syllables, you may find yourself naturally getting voiced stops anyway when they come before voiced, like nasals or resonance or whatnot. Yeah. So, and as Mike made reference to vowel harmony, yeah. the instant you've got a language with vowel harmony, you're going to have front rounded vowels. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Period. End of story. Yeah. And, um, uh, in the, on that walls page with the, um, the vowel, the vowel types mentions one of them if you have you know, vowel harmony, you may have um, two parallel things that, you know, where there's two ver- variations, like rounded versus unrounded, or um, I think that's the m- most common one, isn't it? Probably, uh, it for, is, so. yeah. yeah. There's also a tongue retraction harmony that I don't understand. Okay. Mm. Well, that, um, I think that was a, a nice little exercise to say, well, how do we do it? Yeah, yeah. that's um, interesting. Um but I think we probably need to move on to talk about our featured conlang. Uh, so <laughs> today we are going to do something we haven't done for a long time. We are going to talk about an auxlang, an, an international auxiliary language, Volapük, <laughs> which has the worst name marketing-wise for a uh, an auxlang that I've ever seen. <laughs> Why do you make the new language for where? Why do you make your word for language peak? Why do you do that? It's just wrong. Well, it's supposed to be vol is supposed to be the English word for world. Okay, <laughs> but but Schleier, uh, Johann Martin Schleier, the Catholic priest who invented it, felt that having R and L be distinct sounds would be too hard for the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Oh, so wow. there aren't there are yeah. no R's. There he are no all, R's. He, he actually. Uh, took the Chinese into consideration. But no yeah. one else, apparently, with that vowel system. Anyway. Um, and, <laughs> but it mentioned, and, yeah. And Dog. Peak, somehow, he got out of the English verb speak. No. Uh, <laughs> one, um, one thing it mentions is that, he, sure, he took into account the Chinese speaker's difference for the R, and the, the R and the L, but he uses, you know, weird vowels like U, or like uh, U, I think it's in there, too. Like, there's, the vowels are Mm. Yeah, he uses the the secondary cardinals. He has um, it's the uh, we were looking before before we called you, Mike. Um, 
and basically the valve system looks very German. Mm-hmm. He has, um, well, he is German, so that you know. Well, yeah, it makes sense. He has a, u, and e. All three of those are are, uh, and those three vowels are kind of kind of also kind of uh, distinguished German uh-huh. um, from some other languages. So, and they're not. I don't think I would have chosen those particular sounds to put into an IAL. Because <laughs> there, there are so many languages that don't distinguish those. Yeah, I mean, we, we have more experience now. So, I mean, this language was invented 1879, 1880, something like that by, you know, Father Schleier. Um, it took off pretty good. There were conventions already in 1884 and 1889. Um, uh-huh. And the last conference in 1889, they actually used the language at the conference. So that's a pretty good measure of success. Yeah. Um, and then about 10 years later, it was completely obliterated by Esperanto. Oh. <laughs> yeah. For multiple reasons, one of which it had to do with politics. People wanted to reform Volupik to deal with some of the difficulties in it. And he said, no way, go away. <laughs> um, <laughs> And the grammar of Volupuke is more complex than that of Esperanto. Now, Zamenhof borrowed ideas from Volupuke, and we can get to that in a bit, but he simplified it much even comparison to, to Volupuke. And Volupuke, for example, has a very German-looking case system. Uh-huh. Nominative, genitive, datum, accusative. Uh-huh. Um, although he optionally allows, or this, I don't know, this, hmm. it's important to know that there are two varieties of Volupuke. Yeah. There's the original Schleier, and then several decades after his death, Ari de Jong did a revision in 1931, yeah. and that's the version mm-hmm. most people use now. Mm-hmm. Are they mutually intelligible, I presume? No. Well, uh, oh. largely. Mostly. Mostly. But there, the, the uh, Wikipedia page has a comparison of the Lord's Prayer in both versions. Mm-hmm. So you can see some of the differences there. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Schleier Volupuke uh, I see. Yeah. Um, oh, fat. Oh, bats. <laughs> fat. Yeah. Part of fat. But yeah. Oh, yeah, he right. changed the word order, did he? I don't think so. Uh, well, some of them there is, like the second line. But Yeah, yeah. I think that the second line is weird. I, I think that there's translational differences that just have to do with the people doing the translation rather than deep changes in the language itself. Might be poetic, too. Right, yeah. yeah. There's multiple things to be going on. There. The point is, in... At least the current version of Volupuke, you can either use the case marking or they have preposition equivalents of all of them, except the is that, is that common? To have case or or prepositional or in a natural language, probably not. But you yeah, know, IAL. So you do it. You do you do what you can to accommodate multiple kinds of speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. I actually think it's quite interesting that as uh, Volupuke went through this revision in 1931. Mm-hmm. Every time and, that happens in Esperanto, you get a new language. Uh, with a different because, community, right? This is considering the stress that Volapuk went through. It um, may be that just the Volapuk community is was much smaller. Yeah, by the so, time nineteen thirty one came around, it's very small. What's interesting is there is a yeah. continuous line of chief falls, you know, people in charge going back to Schleier to now. Some fellow uh-huh. in Great Britain is the current chief falls. So that's kind of neat. Hmm. Um, okay. So b- before I talk about the grammar, I just want to mention that Volapük, even though it has a terrible name, 
I think the terribleness of that name is why it exists in many European languages to talk about nonsense. Mm. <laughs> I think President Sarkozy recently used an interview. He said something was, you know, Volapük, which is his way of saying it's gibberish. For a long time, I only thought it was mean-spirited Esperantists who used the word that way, but no, the French and the Dutch do as well. It's 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 surprising that it still has enough cachet that they would use it that way. Yeah, was that like someone saying it's Greek to me when they're saying they don't understand it? N- not merely incomprehensible, but it's disparaging gibberish. Mm, uh, <laughs> yeah, I see. Uh, at least when Esperantists use it, it is. But anyway. yeah. So in terms of the grammar. Even though it borrowed weirdnesses from German, it did so with perfect regularity. <laughs> right? Uh, the, declension, the declension system is perfectly regular. Um, the pronoun system, which I hate, is perfectly regular. Oh, mm. what do you hate about the pronouns? They all have the same uh, vowel. Oh. Yeah. Ob, ol, om, of, on. Yeah, that's right. And then it's ops, ons. And in part, they're written this way because they can be smacked onto a verb. Yeah. Uh, so, completely regular. That's something that you like in, in IAL. Yes. Um, you said that some of Esperanto's, uh, tendency to have some good, um, so, to have lots of compounding and derivations is sort of borrowed from Volapük. Yes, it has. It, if you look at the, um, list of derivational elements available to uh, Volopuki will look very familiar to any Esperanto speaker. And Zamenhof is perfectly, was very open about saying, you know, if there weren't Volopuki, there couldn't be Esperanto. Where was, where is this? Oh, I see it. Um, no, yeah. we Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something, I forgot. Mm hmm. Um, I was looking oh, for that. I'm oh, sorry, go on before you forget. I was going to say, there are some fun derivational affixes that are in. Volapük, which were not borrowed by Esperanto, which I think is a shame. Um, there's a special prefix that means until death, which is used <laughs> to create things like bleed to death. <laughs> I love I just, that. I just thought that was a, a funny thing to have. There's some interesting things. There's two words for yesterday, or is this just some weirdness of this dictionary? Because they look the same. Um, there's words for and looking at the dictionary there i think I, there was uh, there's a specific word for last week and last year is that it looks like it might be derived i would hope so um so i've learned most of my volapük there there's one of the websites we have for this volapük.com quite hysterically not hysterically hilariously uh-huh. has a grammar of volapük in esperanto yeah <laughs> yes i was looking at this which um, I quite enjoy and was of very. Of course, I can't actually understand any of the Esperanto, so I'm. Yeah, well, I'm kind of I, lost. I, I'm, I was perfectly happy with this, and it explains mm-hmm. parallel constructions. I managed to look at the um, numeral system, which is expectedly rather boring, but the, it, there is an interesting bit in that they. So, for some reason, somebody decided that Volapük needed. Um, Words for powers of 10 up to 10 to the 18th. And they also have, uh, very, very, they have, uh, a strange way of notating, uh, decimals. I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly what 
is going on with the decimals. There, it looks like you, you just add bile to it at the end or something. That could be. Yeah. Um, I don't normally pay attention to those. Yeah, I know. You guys don't, I know, William, you don't, you don't pay attention to, um, numerals. Yeah, numerals. But yes. Um, yeah, when- why, why do, why had, what, what did possess him to make the pronouns ob, all, or, og, Om, of, on. That's, so, that seems, um, like it could be easily confused. It sure does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he has, so there's a whole bunch of singular third person pronouns. Looks like it's, there's reflexive and reciprocal and abstract and concrete. Huh. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's a lot of th- ways to say he or she. Um, the verb system is kind of nifty, and I never knew this, but it marks tense and aspect by prefixes. Yeah. Oh. Huh. Um, it also marks the passive that way. Mm-hmm. And then mood uh. is a suffix that follows your marking for person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, which was neat. Um, and then the imperfective, there are two ways to form that, one of which... I wasn't able to fully decipher what was going on, but it looks like a, a helping word plus a special ending. So there's lots of fun stuff hiding out. Okay. I see a bunch. I, I, I'm seeing all these um, prefixes now. There's a lot yeah. of them. Yeah. And suffixes. Oh, he has a special prefix to indicate that something has been castrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is useful when you're still using horses to travel, but wow. <laughs> well, yes, you need a word for gelding. So, um, yeah, uh, it does. I mean, there's an interesting characteristic difference in that um, Zamenhof came out of the Slavic zone, yeah, and so you get some funky aspect stuff and some mm-hmm. funky transitivity stuff in Esperanto that definitely did not find its origination here in Volapuke. I'm kind of uh-huh. surprised that um, Volapuke, coming from German that only has four cases, maintained the case, but Esperanto only has the accusative marking, and Slavic has, you know, lots of case. Right, well, you know, Zamenhof just kept pairing things away. I think he started out with more cases mm-hmm. um, before just simplifying further and further. And mm-hmm. also, um, if you lo- listen to our, our episode where we featured Esperanto, um, William mentioned that the Esperanto accusative it does a lot of odd things that are it's not, not that really odd. It's yeah, Russian uses the accusative for um, like like destination movement sometimes. Yep. So I don't know. Yep. Yeah. But um, so what? Where are what are the four cases for? for sorry, I really should have uh, prepared more for this one, but for well, some reason, I nominative, to... accusative, dative, and genitive. Okay. And then it that makes sense. Predicative. Or predicative hmm. mentions in there too. Where are you looking at that? Um, I'm looking at the uh, grammatical forms page, and it mentions cases. It has nominative, genitive, dative, accusative, then predicative and vocative particle. I don't know what the grammatical forms page is. Oh, there we go. Hmm. So I don't know if those were paired away in the revision or if this was made in the revision. This has material applies to the uh, Ari Dijong revision, the modern yeah. one. Yeah. Ah. This is the thing I should have been looking at. I've been trying to 
trying to to skim through the Esperanto thing, and I'm like, uh, can <laughs> you I don't speak Esperanto? Why are you looking at that? <laughs> <laughs> he speaks Spanish. It's close enough. <laughs> I can I can figure out a few things in Esperanto just looking at like labels of stuff. Mm-hmm. But all right, let's see what else. Um, questions are marked by attacking a particle to attacking? the verb. Attaching? Ta- tacking of our particle. Oh, oh, part. okay. Tacking one on. Uh, I see. Yes. Okay. Makes much more sense. Glomming, attaching, gluing. <laughs> Pending. Um, yes, appending something. So that was sort of interesting. Um, okay, there's but there's a list of interjections. That's kind of funny. Gee, <laughs> <laughs> And, and uh, stopu means halt. Stopu. Right. Well, there. So, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm. I'm just. I just saw that. and I had to say it. Yeah, an, interject- <laughs> an interjection. Liadu means dear me. There are quite a few prepositions. Yeah, that's very European. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. That was one of the things that made um some French oh. people very angry and was resulted in, I think it was Edo, mm-hmm. is they felt that the Esperanto prepositions were too loosey-goosey. Uh. <laughs> it needed to be tidied up. It's interesting on this, it men- on this uh, Volapük, uh, it mentions that some prepositions can take an ending E to show motion. So. Right, which is the accusative case. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting that the, that the preposition changes to uh, no, also. I mean, I've heard of like does, Russian... the preposi- does the preposition take the ending as well? I thought it meant that the well, it says some prepositions take the ending. So I'm assuming that means like if you if you're saying, uh, I it don't might know. be it might be that the head of the uh, thing it may it may be that oh oh and there's a derivational way of forming prepositions adding e, but the I think I don't know uh, I. Without examples, we can't tell whether yeah. that E is attached to the preposition or to the uh, the noun that it controls. Um, one thing that I haven't been able to tell is, is one of the characteristics of Esperanto is a great deal of many morpheme words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a root with a bunch of suffixes. It's a bit difficult for me to tell based on the texts that we have available on the site. There's an interesting text I'm looking at right now that reminds me of a donkey story, kind of, a little bit. It's, it's about um, three men who were traveling in Turkey, and they had to be punished because they were drunk and be- by getting 20 lashes. And then <laughs> they asked, do you want that I rub oil on your back in order to lessen the pain? Asked the flogger. <laughs> it's really okay. in case you're... Uh, it's reading free. Okay. <laughs> I was looking for an example of the um, basic reading free. Yes. Yes. I was looking and for it a thing. So, right. So, it, it doesn't give me a um, breakdown. Mm-hmm. Of yeah, morphology. there's no gloss. There's not really a gloss here. It's a. Uh... It, it seems to me that that Volapük is less um, agglutinating than Esperanto. It mm-hmm. is somewhat, perhaps more than German. Um, but less so than, than Esperanto. That's the impression I'm getting. I really didn't have, I would have to actually learn the language much more mm-hmm. to get a better feel for, for how it does this. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's, I'm not sure I what I think about that, the um, What'd you say, Mike? Oh, no, I was saying, I don't know how I feel about the way it looks. Like just the, 
I, you know what I think I was, when I was looking at this, I had this feeling that what Boba Pute needs is a metal band. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many all umlauts. Those umlauts. Yes. yes. All those umlauts. Um, I think there is some, well, there's some Volapük music that I found, or oh, really? music that's called Volapük, but I didn't get to actually any of the the, the songs because it's kind of weird. But a lot of it's like jazz and stuff. I wonder if I can find some uh, Volapük metal that would be interesting to uh, to find. Um, I did. I do like the dictionary. Um. The dictionary for Volapük, you wouldn't necessarily think of an IAL doing this, but I guess since it came from a German, then <laughs> it it will naturally tend to do this a little bit. Um, there's plenty of examples of words that have sort of multiple translations, and you might want to look at that as sort of for... One more source for ideas about how to play with your semantic fields. Hmm. Um, like there's, um, betil, betil means a bite or a snack. No, well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's nice. There's, uh, uh, is it beafun means to attend to, to deal with, to supervise. Sure. That's your standard sort of range. Yeah, nice. why of, is the word why is the word for a witch so huge? <laughs> Wasn't it uh I'll have to find that word? Uh Yi Magivan. Okay, so that's the Yi is the female prefix. Mag Ivan. Yi Magivan. Oh like female magic user or something? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. Uh oh. yeah. Yi Magivan Konot, which is a witch's tail. Oh. And we have a word for bearded vulture, which seems <laughs> bearded. Where is, is that? <laughs> bearded Weird. vulture. Are you looking at the uh, Volapük to English dictionary? Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes. That makes more sense. Why are some of the words underlined? Does he mention why? Hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lots of uh, useful terminology like urologist. <laughs> this is important. <laughs> Uh, when you reach really a certain about... age, I assure you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Oh, um. Well, I won't. I won't say anything about um that on the air. Good. Thank you. Oh, look! It has a text. <laughs> this house is haunted. Specos idomat. I love. Okay, the word for squirrel is yacht. Why do squirrels get their own tiny little root? <laughs> that's uh, funny that it is just like a small that should be evil creature that destroys my garden Yeah, <laughs> oh. and a funny one is yarn is yan sure so that was that's that's clearly something that he got from probably English ya for already that's obviously he knows the, the guy knew Spanish Probably. <laughs> Wait, I thought he didn't have R's. Right, the the, the reform by R. De Young brought it back a little bit more. Ah. Yes. Uh-huh. So this is not a pirate language. Yeah, <laughs> pirate and, and this is, this is, this, this dictionary is something that's been maintained because there's a word for text message. 
Wie den Nunil. Yeah, we've got a bunch of uh, computer terminology, which is pretty good. Anyway, I mean, in terms of the grammar, it's what you'd expect. It's pretty mm -hmm. darn simple. Um, if you go for agglutinating languages, you might get some interesting ideas for morphemes because some of them are a bit surprising to me. So they might be there might be some useful ideas there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think. Is there really much else we can can say specifically about Volapük? I mean, I think I uh, probably should have prepared a little more because I did read half of this stuff before. You the know, show, it's but... an IAL. You should be able to just learn it in five minutes. No, all right, sorry. Uh, five minutes? Why so long? Why uh, so long? I, I do like actually on the page right up front. They say no language is easy to learn. Right. And thank you. They're not. They're not trying to sort of pretend that there. There is some like in the introduction to the to one of the the grammars on that site, there was a little airy philosophicalness about Volapük will make your thoughts clear. But at least they realize oh. that Volapük is not is not perfectly easy to learn. It might be easier than some languages, but yeah, yeah. Or they could be poking at the Esperantists, just like just like Esperanto is is very easy to learn. But I don't think it's as easy to learn as some people claim it is. Mm. Yeah, some people over over market. Anyway, um, we were. Um, oh, sorry, Claw. Oh no, I was just saying. Uh, do you have something? Another observation to to list down here? Well, I was just going to mention that we were speaking about sound systems earlier, and I'd love to see the phonotactics of this. Like, what is isn't acceptable? Um, you know, because yeah, I saw mint because... is a word in there, but I don't see any other mint necessarily. Um, there's a there's but... there's one thing of this because this is an IAL. Mm -hmm. And it's obviously all the doc documentation is sort of too uh, geared towards the less uh, sophisticated. I can't find uh, good um, phoneme charts, so yeah. I have to kind of puzzle it through from his sort of list from not his, but the this these sites various sort of lists that are comparing to English and all that stuff. Yeah, does it mention um where the stress falls? Is it penultimate or on the penult or final? Uh, stress final, final. It's stress mm. final. Okay. So I've been pronouncing things right. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> there, except for one or two bits of grammar that are written with hyphens and therefore don't get the accent. Mm -hmm. Oh well, like the like the question marker. Okay. Suffix to the verb. Uh, Actually, that's really surprising to me that Volapük does that because. There's no Europe, there's no language of Europe that I know that marks a question by suffixing something special to the verb. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So good, good for Schleier for that bit of weirdness. <laughs> uh, well, I think we can kind of we have a lot of nice materials on Volapük for you guys to peruse. Um, if you speak Esperanto, you will probably learn more about Volapük than I just did, <laughs> because I was I was looking at the apparently the best grammar they have on that site is the Esperanto one, but I can't actually read half of it. Oh. Um, it's your own fault. <laughs> um, there so, is, if you want practice reading, there is actually. Wikipedia, many Wikipedia pages in this language, so there are still definitely big fans of the language out there. Yeah, there yes. is there is a whole uh, Volapük Wikipedia, uh, Vukiped. I just don't know how many Volapükists there must be. 
they must be very devoted because there is a mailing list that doesn't seem very active. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. But I don't know what the Bullet community is like. They're probably mm-hmm. very nice people. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm sure. It's just interesting <laughs> to know why they've stuck with Bullet as opposed to almost any other. I mean, for a while there, I suspect there were more people speaking lingua franca nova mm-hmm. than there are speakers of Bullet Maybe when I post this episode, I'll track down some of the uh, the communities to see if I can get a reaction from Volapukists. Like, I I actually contacted the, the Lojbanists beforehand, but I didn't do sure. it for Volapuk. Um, well, I think that we can move on. Can Is is all right for us to move on to sure. feedback here? Sure. Uh, feedback, all I have is, um, all I'm going to say right now for feedback is we did get a new five-star iTunes review. Yay! And, you know, keep those coming. If you, we'll probably mention about every review because we don't, we get kind of trickle in, but if you give us five stars, I will read them on the air. <laughs> At least <laughs> if they, if they are in a language that I can read, then I will read them on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is by Whispers65. He says, uh, titled, They Said What? <laughs> and he says, I'm a total noob when it comes to conlanging and learning languages in general, although I have a high interest in such things. After trying to put together my own conlang, I started researching to see how others create theirs. On a whim, I did search, did a search on conlangs on iTunes and came up with these guys, and I think they are great. Each show is very informative, and although I'm not always familiar familiar with this terminology, I have to look up a lot, mm-hmm. I learn a great deal and get a lot of good ideas to incorporate in my own conlangs. Mm-hmm. They have literally opened up the world of languages to me and situations I never knew existed. And although the podcast may seem disjointed at times, I really appreciate their off-the-cuff commentary style. It's obvious they know what they're talking about, and if not, they research it. Well, we try to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I think anyone interested in languages in general, or conlangs in particular, would enjoy their show. Uh, So that... Yeah, that nice. came on Thank April twelfth, um, and that's we didn't really get uh, many good emails. A few, a few people suggesting featured languages and stuff. One cool. thing uh, I have recently done a blog post on this, but uh, I think it, I think occasionally it needs mentioning on the show. Um, I've been kind of running low on the top of show greetings, and we're also kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel we've gotten a few more suggestions but we're still kind of kind of low on featured conlangs to feature um we like to have conlangs that they don't have to be like novogradian 500 page grammars but uh something that has enough you know good sort of linguistic quality and good enough documentation that we can get sort of a, a 20 minutes of talking about it mm. um and as far as, again, the t- top of show greetings, you may have noticed a couple episodes ago I used German. I am accepting Natlang translations of the top of the show greeting. Uh, look at the contribute page to, to see exactly what you have to translate and how to send that in. But if you are a native speaker of a language other than English is what I'm going to say, um, because I think it, 
is preferable, especially since you ha- may have to coin a couple, one or two new words. Um, then, you know, do the same thing you would do if you were doing a conlang version. Hmm. And silence. <laughs> There's nothing for me to add. <laughs> if you speak a language other than English or now German, send us greetings. Yeah, yeah. You know, all kinds of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that, that will help me have just more to go around. And still just keep sending in conlang greetings too, because, you know, that's the, that's the main focus of the show is conlang. So, anyway, I think wrapping up, um, William, you have any final words of wisdom? Uh, no, not this week. Uh, Mike. Nope, don't really have anything. <laughs> All right then, and I'm going to say, well, William's still going to Worldcon. I yes. am still going to Worldcon. Yes. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Just in case people forgot, and I'm going to say, Happy Conlanging. You have been listening to Conlangery. You can find the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes at conlangery.com, including links to our featured conlang and a few resources to help you make sense of today's topic. You'll also find links to subscribe to us on iTunes or through other podcatchers, to our Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus pages, and a whole lot more. Questions, comments, and suggestions may be sent to conlangery at gmail.com. You can also submit those translated greetings we play at the top of the show or conscripts to display in our header. Please see the contribute page for details. Thanks for listening. You want to make a little bit of sense. Uh It would be useful to explain why it happened, and you can use that then as the basis for interesting sort of historical. Hello? Um, William, Hmm. you dropped. Yeah. Oh dear. Okay. It's gone. Oh no. Well then. (laughs) <laughs> William, can you make your presence known? Knock on something. We do, we need a, a seance or something. Where'd no, he he's 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 not in the. Uh... Yeah, I see. Here we go. So this will be something that you fix out. Yeah, I'll edit it out. William, okay. am I back? Hello, hello, yes. welcome back. Okay, great. So, you're saying something about the historical. Right. Let me cut out. Whenever I see X for KS in a con line, I'm like don't actually need to make that S. You can X. You can just put KS. <laughs> I think I some know. people... Are, it's true. I think some people are just going for the, the look. Um, where, where does one go to get good recipes for bear? I don't know. This was just like a stew cooked in a crock pot with uh, potatoes and carrots. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where you would go for good recipes. I think the first step is to get the bear. <laughs> um, that is the first step in many things. What was that? Oh, nothing. I had some bear meat today. Oh, was it delicious?
It tastes like beef. Hmm. So telling um, a telling a gay guy that you've had bear meat today is kind of a funny thing to say. <laughs> I, I know. I know laugh. what bear means. Mm-hmm. Bear, and I know twink. Mm-hmm. And. Somebody, I was playing um, Draw Something with someone the other day, and they tried to draw an actual Twinkie, and I'm like, have you just drawn a, you know, a young guy? with you know, And I'm like, I would have gotten it so much quicker. <laughs> really? Probably. Well, the, the word Twink um, mm-hmm. sticks with me because, and I have no idea, I doubt that they're really related, although it's, it's suspiciously similar meanings. There's a gaming term... Usually in uh, MMOs like World mm-hmm. of Warcraft, yeah. where you have a lower level character who with a lot is, of gear, yeah, because they're supported by higher level characters. And I always thought, wondered if they were related, but the uh, at least the the popular sort of um, etymology that everybody states is that it comes from Twinkies are hard on the outside and soft on the inside. Really, that's not what I would have thought. That's but, not what I would have thought either. It sounds like they have a sugar daddy. Mm, I would have it's, thought that it was like, you know, Twinkies are, they're, they're kind of, I don't know, they're just like, they're not really hardcore or anything. They're just really soft and kind of like yeah, I don't know. sweet, like like horribly too sweet. Uh, I yeah, don't like that, Twinkies. Well, not, that well, sugar daddy thing. I don't thing, like the baked um, cookie. Uh, William is why I was curious as whether it was related to the gay slang because... Um, because, you know, the idea of, I, I was thinking of a younger guy supported by an older man, mm. uh, where right. you have a low level character supported by a high level character, but I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I, don't I see, I see. I pwn, I can't decide if that's like a corn pwn gone bad or <laughs> the iPhone, uh-huh. some gaming tool for destroying your enemies. Oh, okay. There, I had to lower the lower the volume because you guys are in my ear now. It's like the voice of God. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I uh, am the voice of God. I've I've long joked that my retirement plan is to start a cult because mm-hmm. they are very lucrative. They so friends be. of mine will refer to the one true William, which is me. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>